Hello and welcome to Meet the Researcher, where we meet staff from the Faculty of Sport, Health and Social Sciences at Solent University. This podcast is for anyone interested in research and the person behind the process. It's hosted by me, Dr Emma Mosley and Dr Mark Turner, where we take it in turns to chat to faculty members to get to know them and their research. We hope you enjoy. Welcome to this week's podcast. This week we are joined by Dr. Sarah Hillier, who is the course leader in Applied Human Nutrition. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Emma. How are you doing? All right? Yeah, all good. Thank you so much for joining us today. I can't wait to find out a little bit more about you and more about nutrition. I'm very excited. Um, So the first question I have for you is how did you get to where you are today? That's a really good question. Okay, um, so I did my undergraduate degree in human biology. This is the boring bit. I'll tell you about my qualifications. Undergraduate degree in human biology at Oxford Brookes University. Um, but before that, I actually did my A-levels, um, uh, biology, psychology, and I. I don't know what else, IT, I think something else, something random so long ago. Um, but interestingly, uh, my biology A-level, I got a D. So I actually had to resit my biology A-level to get into university. And uh, another fun factor, all the, the, the um, applied health uh, guys out there, is I actually wanted to be a physiotherapist. So I, I wasn't intelligent enough to be a physio. Um, so I had to go and do a human biology degree. So um, it just shows you what happens in terms of your journey. Um, so yeah, degree at Oxford Brooks in human biology, um, really exciting um, degree program. We did lots of different modules. It was really fun. And as part of that, I got to do some nutrition modules. Um, and I didn't even know you could do a degree in nutrition at that point. Um, in, in the sort of early 2000s, I was like, oh, this is interesting. You can study what, what you eat. That's quite fun. Um, and uh, yeah, so uh, went on to did a dissertation in the menopause because my mum was going through the menopause at the time and um, she was eating lots of soy based products to help with her symptoms. And that's where I, it suddenly clicked to me that, that what you ate can have a real impact on your health. And that was a real eye opener for me. Um, and so as a result of finishing my, my degree, um, I went off and tried to do a little bit of research and get that all important work experience that I keep telling my own students to get. Um, I had to do some volunteering at various different places. And my old supervisor from Brooks uh, emailed me and said, I've got this PhD coming up, Sarah, in women's health and nutrition what do you think and so of course I jumped at it did the interview thought I absolutely nailed it and did not get the PhD (laughs) anyways apparently I didn't have enough experience that classic word again. Um, anyways, uh, luckily for me, the the girl that they did have lined up for it never turned up. And so by default, here I am, uh, Sarah Hillier uh, went and did her PhD in uh, women's health and re- reproductive physiology and nutrition, still at Brooks. Um, I did that for three and a half, four years um, and absolutely had a blast. And as you well know, Emma, uh, PhD is absolutely amazing and God awful in equal measures all at the same time. Um, so uh, very excited that I did it, but would never do it again um and then from brooks i decided i'd never work in research um so what to never wanted never wanted to what to work in academia anyway and uh, went to work for a commercial weight management company called slimming world don't know if you've heard of slimming world i have indeed 
Yeah, absolutely. So those guys do uh, weight management across the UK and in America. So I went to work for their research team, looking at uh, weight management, you know, and, and what they do as part of their program. So so how they develop their their product, you know, that they sell, and, and what the research is behind that. So I had a couple of years out in industry, which was really exciting, and then decided actually academia was for me, and I enjoyed the long summers that we get oh, obviously yes. as we all know we get long summers um and uh, so so went to st mary's university in twickenham got a job there as a lecturer in nutrition part of their program did that for a couple of years and then missed oxford missed the dreaming spires for anybody that has ever been to oxford it's a beautiful city so um i got myself a job back in the department that i'd been as an undergraduate so a full circle as it were um was there for a couple of years uh, lecturer senior lecturer course leader of the msc and then decided that i'd much rather live in the south coast and so the job here at Sonant came up um, and that's where I am I guess that gives you a nice full full uh, overview of my career to date how about that yeah that's fab and I think um, it's really lovely to hear everybody's experiences and also understanding the journeys that people have been on and the fact that you know PhDs are not necessarily what they're cracked up to be but they're definitely <laughs> worth it for anyone listening um, <laughs> Absolutely. so other than that, let's have a fact about you that doesn't relate to research. That's a really interesting one. Now, I wasn't sure whether to go personal or not, but I have gone because I think it's really important. I always tell my students that you can't be who you can't see. So it's all about representation and who you see and identifying yourself. So I'm going to come out here on the on the podcast. I identify as LGBT. Um, I have married to uh, my wife for the last, well, I'll get it right, Sarah. She won't be listening, so that's all right. I can, I can totally make it up. Seven years, I think. Um, we have um, We have a young daughter who turns two next week so um, you can be LGBT in the research community and I think that's always important to um, to showcase that um, yeah. not that I'm particularly out normally but um, I, yeah. I thought it was a nice fact for everybody to hear absolutely I think that's a fabulous fact and I've got so many friends um, that are part of the same community my PhD supervisor is part of the same community and I think that's really lovely that you know you're sharing that and you know getting that representation out there because it really does need to be um, so thank you so much for sharing that. That's okay. Um, okay, so let's move on from your kind of journey and that fun fact about you. And we're going to talk a little bit more about what your research area is actually about. So did you follow suit from the PhD? Are you drifting off into other areas? Tell us uh, where your interests lie. Yeah, absolutely. So as I'm sure you're aware, um, nutrition um, is a quite a diverse field. And often when you think of nutrition, maybe you just think about, particularly at Solent, the um, the waft of the brownie smell that comes from the kitchen sometimes during our practicals. And whilst we absolutely adore making brownies, um, that's not all we are, are, are known for. And particularly in research for nutrition, it's so diverse. So the area of research that I really am interested in and, and sort of it comes stems from from my undergraduate days is is women's health and i mentioned that before you know my dissertation was a literature review on the menopause and and foods that impact um symptoms of the menopause and i've really sort of carried the women's health theme through um, I've picked it up and put it down at various points, um, but it really does probably that one stands the, the test of time, really. So um, with my PhD, was, uh, I sort of looked at the female hormones um, during the menstrual cycle. So estrogen and progesterone. 
and looked at factors that are, are affected by those hormones. So most commonly, you might be thinking of perhaps you eat lots and lots of or you crave lots and lots of food. Chocolate is obviously one of the ones that often people say at different times of the month, maybe during your period, maybe just before. And so I was really looking at the mechanisms underpinning that. Yeah, so not just the case of how many chocolate bars did you eat when you're on your period, which is obviously one type of methodology. I was really looking at the physiology and the underpinning um, uh, physiology about those hormones and, and what the connection was. So, um, you know, that's one of the areas of nutrition that I think sometimes you don't realise, you know, actually there is a lot of physiology and we are a science. And as much as we love making brownies and, and cooking, and that's a big part of it, actually, we really do some quite um, significant science as well. So um, I've continued on to that theme I mentioned before about working for Slimming World. So for those that know, it's a commercial weight management company. You might also know a company called Weight Watchers. Um, they do similar sorts of things. Um, and the majority of the people that go to those companies are women. Um, it's all about weight loss. It's all about trying to get individuals to live health, health, uh, help, sorry again, live health, healthier and happier lifestyles. And they do that through um, healthy eating and increasing physical activity and behavior change or sort of um, trying to get people to change their, their mindset on their relationships with food. So it's a much more positive um, and so I think I've really carried that through and I continue to do that today. Um, so some of the things that I'm working on at the moment really are around um, sort of weight management and particularly um, sort of in female health. Um, so, so that's one of the, the areas that I'm doing. I've also done some previous research on, on pregnancy as well and the, effect, the, the factors that are affected during pregnancy. Obviously, we know that our hormones are, are, are surrounding the, the sort of physiology of pregnancy really go up um, and we know that that can have a real impact not only um, on the mother but also the unborn child as well. So we've done some research um, previously looking at what the dietary changes are before and during and after pregnancy and if you change your diet whether that has an effect on maternal outcomes. So for example if you develop um, preeclampsia or um, gestational diabetes or whether your baby comes out smaller for gestational age so a smaller baby for for the, for the amount of time that it's been uh, in the womb or larger so bigger babies is that as a, as a result of what you've been eating or your metabolism so those are sort of the areas in terms of women health women's health that i've been looking at um in terms of uh, weight management, so continuing on with the Slimming World theme, one of the things that I've been doing recently, and I had a, an MSc by research student at, at Oxford Brooks when I was there, we looked at ready meals. Now, it's, you might think, oh my God, Sarah, that's a real left turn from pregnancy. And, and I guess it is, but it's, it's, it's all in the same sort of area. So we wanted to know um, the, the sort of... I guess, slightly healthier eat branded ready meals, uh, whether they have an impact. So so if if a company like Summer World is suggesting to people to eat ready meals or these low fat sort of healthier ready meals, and I'm, I'm inverted commas here, um, you know, does that actually one cause weight loss, but also can we have a change in what we call our appetite and our satiety sensations? Now, I'll do a little pl bit of a plug for myself, Emma. As you may have seen in my recent Channel 4 um, uh, sort of appearance, Food Unwrapped, I'm sure you'll, you'll mock me on that in a minute. Um, but we did we did a little mini experiment looking at this, so appetite and satiety. So how do we feel? How hungry do we feel? And what causes us to feel less hungry or more full over time, right? One of the things I did for that program was on chewing gum. Unsurprisingly, it didn't work. It's for television. It doesn't normally work. It wasn't science at all. But nonetheless, the principles of it are still remain the same. So we know that certain foods will make us feel fuller when we eat them. 
and they'll give us a less calorie value and so that then helps with our weight loss so i'll give you an example if you compare 100 grams of mars bar so two mars bars yeah you'll get best part of i don't know 450 maybe 500 calories from those two mars bars if you eat 100 grams of apple for example so say for the main the same weight you'll get significantly less calories from it okay so you'll still eat the same volume of food and with an apple you'll probably have 80 to 90 calories maybe 100 max so for the same volume you've got significantly less um calories and therefore if you use the energy balance equation we know that that hopefully will induce weight loss okay so we know that certain foods induce this feeling of fullness um, and therefore that potentially can help with our weight loss or weight management as we go through because not everybody wants to lose weight so i guess that's another area of, of nutrition and then my third area really is is around um sort of body composition um and i and i like to look at um, changes in body fat i mean obviously this all comes ties nicely back into weight management management as well um, and we try to also use body composition techniques particularly in a sporting arena and I know perhaps some of your colleagues are, are doing that you know skin fold measures all those types of things as well so I guess that was a very long-winded way of saying I have three different areas and I love all of them um, I think they're fascinating and and hopefully I've given nutrition a bit of a better name than just the wafting lovely smell of brownies that sometimes comes down the hallway. I can confirm the wafting smell of brownies is very very tempting. <laughs> um that is so fascinating and i really like the fact that you do have you know these three areas but they do also tie together and i think yeah. we we often have that as researchers we maybe have like particular interests and specialities but actually we can sometimes apply that to different contexts within the same area um i was just scribbling some notes down there because everything is so fascinating so i've got a couple of questions for you just based on that um, around the pregnancy one, really interesting. You were talking about like, the different amounts that you should be eating. So can you just confirm or deny this little myth for us about eating for two? That's <laughs> obviously something that kind of, that's the first thing that comes to my mind when people talk about like this idea of like eating in pregnancy. Good question. The answer is no, you should not eat for two. Okay, so um, by all means, come to one of my lectures. Cara, uh, Cara made me do this lecture. So it's my colleague, Cara Roberts, um, who's on maternity leave now, actually, as it, as it goes. Um, but we do this uh, this particular lecture in our in our modules for the, the undergraduate students. And effectively, no, that's a really big myth. Um, in terms of sort of energy or changes in your, your energy requirements during pregnancy, um, the only change that you have is in your third trimester. So for those that aren't familiar with with pregnancy it's about 40 weeks long and they split it up into three sort of equal chunks first trimester um, second trimester and the third and it's only until the third trimester so from about 28 to 30 weeks onwards should you actually increase your calorie consumption so up until that point you should eat normally as in you know whatever normal is to you and healthy balanced diet and only in the third trimester should you increase it and have a guess at how many calories we're allowed to have what per day yeah, per day. Is it 2,000 for women? Yeah, 2,000. What's the increase? Oh, what, for when you're pregnant? Yeah. Like 2,500? No, not even that. It's a couple of hundred calories. <gasps> oh, my Lord. Well, that's it's really not even it. a full Mars bar. That's how I always say it to my students. You can't even have a full Mars bar. Yeah. Um, so it's not a lot. So this whole eating for two actually gets us into a bit of uh, a tricky situation. Like I said before, what we eat during pregnancy, it, it has been very strongly linked to the outcomes, not only of you as the, as the mother, if you are the mother, um, um, in, you know, in terms of carrying the baby, um, uh, 
in terms of your health outcomes, but also the health outcomes of the child that you birth. So we know that there's a link between individuals that are larger for gestational age and their risk of cardiovascular disease when they get much older. There's some evidence to look at that. Their risk of developing obesity, the risk of developing type 2 diabetes. It's, it, it, there can be quite a strong link, or there's definitely some data to suggest there is. Oh. So actually making sure that women eat really healthy or, or, or adhere to healthy eating as much as they can during their pregnancy is really important. Yeah. for health outcomes that's so fascinating again i just really felt that that kind of myth needed to be debunked right there and then um so linking from that healthy eating then and also this idea of you know the mars bars versus the apple i'm just thinking of myself working at home and everybody else who's in a very different situation at the moment with covid um you know how do we maintain this kind of like healthy eating when we're confined to the desk and all we want to do is have a chocolate bar because it makes us feel better probably for about two seconds um so yeah any top tips of like healthy eating during covid I think the first thing to do is acknowledge that it absolutely is rubbish. And I would have said a swear word, but I'm on a podcast, but it's absolutely rubbish. In, and actually, we're dealing with a, non, a non-normal situation. And I think that's always really important to acknowledge first. So all the behaviours that we're displaying are totally normal for us in an abnormal environment. And I think if we acknowledge that, that allows us to move forward and to deal with what we can, particularly when it comes to eating, and the same with physical activity and with our mental health. And these are all areas that you and I share in terms of our knowledge. So um, I think if we acknowledge that and we acknowledge that we're not always going to get it right, then I think that makes us much more happier in ourselves. And uh, having a happier and healthier relationship with food means that we are much more able to take control of it um, or much more able to to not let it control us, actually, even, even more so. So that would be the first thing I'd say. If you're really wanting some hard, like, top tips, then um, acknowledge um, that, you know, and, and, and give yourselves options. It's so easy um, to sit at the desk and, and eat those those foods that you've mentioned about at the Mars bars. And it's totally okay to eat the Mars bars. And I often say to my students, you know, I, I don't want you to not eat them. My best, if you were to ask me, Emma, what my favourite food is, all of my friends would tell you it's pizza and beer. <laughs> Now, last time I checked, pizza and beer is not necessarily what you assumed a registered nutritionist, which is what I am, would come out with as being your favourite food. And in fact, if you probably asked our uh, our colleague Cara, Cara, she'd probably say very similar in terms of the types of food. We love, you know, it's not all about the salads. Um as much as they are wonderful to eat as well. So um, I think it's acknowledging that and, and allowing yourself to have those those foods. Uh, no food is banned and no food is bad. But of course, the caveat to that is actually we should be eating slightly less of that. And it comes back to that energy density. You, you have your Mars bar, absolutely brilliant. You have your 250 calories, but acknowledge that that is quite a chunk of your 2000 calories that perhaps you should be consuming in a day and therefore you might need to make slight adjustments later on in the day maybe have a slightly smaller portion of that particular mars bar or maybe have one biscuit instead of two if you have your tea later on in the day you know that there's some sort of adjustments and some um you know movement in terms of those calories if you're thinking about snacking which i know is something that i i'm a big fan of eating um as again most registered nutritionists that you come interact with we love food that's one of the reasons we we've gone into this field um thinking about those lower energy dense snacks so um i'm always a volume type of person so as long as i've had something that looks large then i'm feeling satisfied i get a lot of psychology and you know a lot of my feelings of fullness from visual Mm. 
mm. visualization. So thinking about the apples, the sliced apples with the peanut butter, or perhaps you know a packet of if you're wanting crisps rather than having uh, sort of the you know the ridged crisps or the sort of um, the, the Walkers other brands are available crisps. You maybe think about having um, you know smaller little. Um, breadsticks there you go that's the word or i know sometimes they have hula hoops which are slightly less in calories you know you can do some smaller things and some smaller nuggets of change um that maybe just help reduce the number of calories that you're consuming in a day yeah. you know having whole grains um instead of white bread so whole grain bread rather than white bread you get really great sources of fiber in that and that's really good for our heart health and for our gut thinking about fruits and vegetables are our snacks i always say that but i'm rubbish at eating fruit um, I'll acknowledge it. And again, I'm not doing a very good service of, of, of nutrition by saying I like beer and pizza and don't eat much fruit. But the point being is, is, you know, I tend to have a lot more vegetables. That's the way that I would balance that. So I think it's it's about acknowledging the things that you do, making small steps to changes. And of course, particularly about sitting at desk, get moving. Yeah. Because often our food intake, uh, often we get into bad habits of boredom. And we think that we're hungry when we're not actually hungry. And so perhaps even having a glass of water and then thinking, oh, actually, am I still hungry? And if that's the case, yes, well, then crack on and have something to eat. But often we'll find it's boredom and actually thirst that we're, we're acknowledging and we associate that with food. Yeah. Sorry, Emma, that was a really long way of saying no, that. No, and I think it's really interesting. And, I, you know, we have gone off on a bit of a tangent, but I just thought that was really nicely linked to everything that you were talking about with your research interests. So let's think about your current work then. Can you tell me maybe about one of the projects you're working on at the moment? Yeah, absolutely. So I think I mentioned it briefly before. So I've still got some work that I'm doing with the Commercial Weight Management Slimming World. So we looked at their ready meal program and their ready meals that they have on the market. And we wanted to know whether they made you feel fuller than compared to a standard ready meal. Yeah, we know that um, good 50 to 60% of the population eat ready meals on a regular basis. And so what I mean by ready meal is like a like a lasagna that's in a, it's, it's microwaveable. Yeah, or a, or a, a spaghetti bolognese or the equivalent like that, okay? You know, a chicken curry or whatever. And these are really, really popular in the UK and around the world. And actually convenience type foods or easy quick meals are becoming really, really popular. And therefore we need to know whether these foods are healthy, not healthy, whether they're going to do what we, they say in the tin in terms of make us feel fuller for longer. And some people may have heard that phrasing before. Mm. So we wanted to look at the ones that were designed specifically for Slimming World, because obviously their thing is weight management. Um, and so we did a project where we got um, a selection of participants in, and we tested, we gave them the Slimming World version, and we gave them a full sort of control supermarket version. We wanted to see what the difference was. Did you feel fuller or less hungry if you ate the Slimming World versus the control? Did you eat less? Did you eat more? How did you feel about that? So that was a sort of the thing. And that, that type of research is, is I've done quite often. We, we utilize it in different ways. So in this context, it was ready meals. I've done it for older adults before. I've done it, you know, in various different ways. Um, but we did it in ready meals for this particular commercial company. So we've just written up that paper which, with the, the organization now to read and comment and, and we'll see what happens but um that's the sort of thing that i'm, I'm looking up uh, sort of finishing off the stuff that i've done here at solent well we're hoping really to sort of continue that theme on sort of women's health and i'm i'm interested and i guess i might as well use this platform to to ask my colleagues if anybody's in, interested in women's health in the general sense obviously i come from a nutrition perspective but i'm sure there's colleagues that have um 
sort of interest in women's health area, whether that's in a sort of sports science perspective or whether that's in a, you know, physiology or a psychology perspective. Um, that's something that I'm really keen to, to sort of develop because I think it has got some some legs, as it were. You know, we have 50% of the population that are females and actually a lot of the time we aren't included in some of the research because of the, the influences of the menstrual cycle, menopause, you know, you name it, um, and that gets excluded. So I'm keen to sort of develop those areas of expertise and I guess that's one of the one of the things that I'm interested to hear from Solent. Um, you know, if there's any other colleagues that are interested in it too. Yeah, definitely. I think it's a really good platform to do that as well. And I, I certainly have seen more on um, social media uh, and, you know, it's really being kind of presented more about like the need for more women's research, particularly within sport, um, particularly around like the menstrual cycle and training. And so I am seeing that, you know, obviously it's not my area, but I think it's a really important. Um, and I think that leads that nicely to my next question is actually, why do you do what you do? What's the kind of bigger picture here? What's the impact of, of what you're doing and, and what do you hope that it's going to do in the future? Yeah, absolutely. I think it sort of comes out in all the themes that we've talked about really is 50%, over 50% of the population are female. So therefore acknowledging the differences in terms of our physiology, in terms of our psychology, in terms of our behaviour is really important. So in terms of the big impact, I hope that my research can have impact on individuals um, that identify as, as females in terms of their sex, in terms of their physiology. Um, we know that um, nutrition plays uh, I don't necessarily think it's just my opinion. I think I do think it represents the majority of opinions that everybody eats, and therefore nutrition is important to understand, even if it's not a large part of your, you know, your world. Um, it's important to recognise that without eating, um, we cannot survive, and therefore nutrition-based research or research that's involved in in nutrition should be um, considered. I think in anything that involves people and animals. In fact, if you're interested in that side of things, um, and so you know, I think. Um, what the wonderful thing about nutrition is, is that it's so it can be part of a multidisciplinary team. We can work with lots of different individuals and perhaps we're not as forefront as lots of others, um, but we do play an important role um, within an MDT type team when it comes to research in, into health. And we know that the state of the nation isn't as great as we want it to be. There's uh, divides in terms of um, social inequalities, and that's become even more apparent when it comes to the COVID situation. We've got more and more people using food banks than ever before. Um, and so all of these areas that we're looking at in terms of nutrition and health, they're all interrelated. And I think that's where we can and should and will be part of that movement going forward and trying to help understand how people eat, why they eat, what's good for them, what's not so good for them, how do we metabolise it, how is there individual differences. And of course, I'm focusing much more on, on females, um, but I think there's a wider conversation to be had. Yeah, definitely. And you know what, I hadn't even really thought about that until you just said it, the fact that actually everybody eats it's like but it's it's and I know myself like I love food and you know lots of different elements of your life revolve around food whether it's you know ordering a takeaway as a treat or getting the family around the table to have dinner and you know it is it's something that we do every single day and I think that in itself is so impactful so making sure that it's right and we're doing it in the right way is is something that's so so important okay I think also 
Sorry, I think, sorry, just to finish, I think what's also really exciting and really interesting is that obviously we use food often in a celebration sense. Yes. We use food for birthdays, for anniversaries, for weddings. You know, it's such an important and integral part of, of a lot of people's lives. I think it's also important to acknowledge that some people do have a very complex relationship with food and there is a, a whole speciality in itself that looks at individuals that perhaps um, don't have the best or the healthiest uh, relationship with food. And I think that's really important to acknowledge. But yeah, I'll always come back to everybody eats and so everybody should be interested in what I'm doing that's my that's my thoughts anyway <laughs> I'm sold I'm absolutely sold and I completely agree with you um okay final question then uh the golden nugget what's the one piece of advice you would give to anybody that's either currently doing research or wanting to get in research give us your golden nugget I mean, I think you could have loads, can't you really? But I guess one of the biggest one is is network. And it's that classic thing that we often say to our students, well, if you just talk to people, they might be able to give you a job. It actually does work. <laughs> um, and and talking to people and, and, and listening to individuals um, uh, is really important. Um, and actually, even if somebody doesn't do what you do here, so, you know, obviously, uh, in terms of nutrition, we're, we're well, I'm a normally a two-man band with with Cara but obviously she's left me off for maternity leave so effectively a one one band band so you know I don't have a large team but actually I have lots of colleagues that are at other universities and at other institutions that do have passions and interests in my work and so networking is really key now obviously that helps because I'm a little bit longer in my career although relatively new on a scale um and I'm sure other individuals, you know, perhaps will be at the start of their career. So might think that networking is quite daunting. And perhaps traditionally you might network at a conference, right? Although I find them quite weird and awkward. But, you know, we don't, we're not doing them anymore. We're on virtual conferences. And so that's less weird or perhaps more weird. Who's to say? But, um, yeah, so, so the conference thing has gone out the window. But one of the things I thought was very interesting that I had a guest speaker actually today talk about to my students is um, it's networking on social media. Now, bear with me, Emma, whilst I go with this. Um, we have in nutrition a um, our sort of accrediting body, the Association for Nutrition. These are the guys that regulate us, make sure we're not doing anything we're not supposed to. They have a, a CPD's like Twitter chat. So they have a topic each month and so on and so forth. And anyways, you can contribute to these particular chats. And actually, interestingly, um, several of, of colleagues and several of the people that I've taught before have actually participated in these chats, you know, not necessarily, necessarily saying too much, but, you know, maybe answering one or two questions or maybe answering the uh, or asking a question to the speaker. Um, and they've actually then, you know, been made contacts and, and got work from it. You know, might only be a six-month contract, might only be a small project, might only be a paper name on a paper or something. But actually, that simple interaction um, on Twitter, uh, they wouldn't have got elsewhere. You know, they're not in the same university. They're in. The, I think it was in Scotland in this particular example. I think that can be really useful for some individuals that perhaps are starting out, perhaps don't have a long list of people that they can draw on. Perhaps this is their first job, or perhaps they're doing their PhD and they have absolutely nobody to turn to other than their supervisor. I think interacting using social media using conferences on an online platform i think can be really powerful at least starting to develop that network yeah i think that's such great advice and i think particularly like you say if you don't have a big network or you need some specialist specialist advice you know there is always an email on the on the paper of you know if you're really interested in that paper or you want to know more ping that all through an email i can guarantee you they'll be absolutely buzzing that you've emailed about their paper absolutely i love it when they do i'm like okay yes somebody's read it brilliant yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah. exactly oh, and i, I think we, we need to remember that you know everybody is 
got similar interests, particularly if you're publishing in, in similar areas. Um, and I think social media is a really powerful tool for that as well. So thank you so much for sharing that. I really hope that encourages people to actually get out and, and put themselves out there on Twitter in terms of a research context. Okay, we are coming to the end of the podcast. And as I'm sure you're aware, we've kind of got this little bit of a theme at the end. We finish with some fun little quick fire questions um, just to get to know you a little bit better um, across the course of this or that. So are you ready for your final question? I'm excited. It's, I feel like there's, I should have some music in the background and it's buzzing. I'm excited. Come I'm on, maybe like, like add some horns or something uh, <laughs> at the end. <laughs> OK, so let's go. So coffee or tea? Tea. Qualitative or quantitative? quantitative I, I have so much respect for qualitative uh, researchers hats off to you but I am rubbish so quantitative all the way dogs or cats dogs book or journal journal I don't think I've read a book since I was at school it's really bad <laughs> Instagram. journals are small yeah <laughs> Instagram or Twitter Instagram they've got much prettier pictures yeah lit review or methodology uh, it depends on what I'm looking for, but normally methodology. Yeah. Chocolate or sweets? Chocolate. Undergraduate or postgraduate? Uh, to teach or to to be? That's a that's a that's an interesting question. To be. Okay. A postgraduate. Winter or summer? Summer. You get to wear shorts and eat ice cream. <laughs> and pizza and beer. Uh, Is that reading or writing? <laughs> um writing i guess yeah writing go with that okay fab sarah thank you so much for coming on the podcast and chatting to me today it's really really interesting and if anybody is interested in reaching out um obviously please do anything to do with women's health um it's a really valid area of research and i'm super interested to see uh, what comes out of your publishing line next Fingers crossed. Thank you, Emma. It's been a delight. Thanks so much, Sarah. Cheers.